Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Carl Ritchell, founder of System76, an American computer manufacturer supporting free and open source software. Working in tech previously, Carl always had a fascination with computers. He noticed the void in a computer that was versatile and use. This inspired him to create System76, open source software that lets the customer customize it to their liking. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Carl Ritchell of System76. Carl, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Oh, well, I, uh, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, there for a brief period of time, I, th- I was, you know, young, young there, and we moved, moved from St. Louis to Ohio for a year. I remember more about Ohio because of a train derailment hmm. that happened when I was there, uh, when, I, when we had lived there. I think I might have been five or six or something like that, and... Um, there was a there was a train derailment that um, spewed toxic stuff into the environment nearby our home, and we had to be evacuated numerous times while we were there over the just the seven months that we were there. Wow. So that was that was quite memorable and uh, uh, quite a striking thing. I remember going to motels and we turn on the news and see these people on gurneys being rolled into hospitals because the and I don't know, it could be, it could very well be a five-year-old imagination too. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how accurate these things are, but I recall, recall people being um, rolled into in on gurneys and um, that there were, uh, the air was toxic and there were bubbles in the air. And, uh, and later when we were back at home, I remember walking with my mom taking a stick and uh, because I was going to protect us from these bubbles. Wow. <laughs> so... <laughs> so now that was our seven months, seven to nine months in, in Ohio. We didn't last long. Yeah. And then we moved to Colorado. So, you know, I was, um, uh, yeah, I was pretty young when we moved to Colorado and have lived here ever since. Awesome. So what did your parents do for work then? Well, um, my parents, uh, uh, my mom worked at JCPenney. Okay. And um, for, for quite some time uh, until she, until my dad eventually um, kind of built up his business so that she could, uh, she could take off and spend her time taking care of us. Mm. Um, my dad worked for a dairy called Royal Crest. Okay. And he delivered milk at night. And then he worked, I don't know how he did this, but he also worked um, at Pizza Hut delivering pizza during the day. Wow. Uh, so he he didn't sleep much, and I don't recall even there. Sometimes, 
you know, milk delivery, you do it at night. And we live in Colorado. It's also, you know, uh, it's the winters can be, uh, they can be, I think I remember them being more severe than they were now, mm. but um, you know, on Christmas and days like that, he would be out delivering milk and we'd wake up and just anxiously await for him to arrive. So we could finally open our presents because he was out, uh, out delivering milk because they delivered every day. Wow. So um, after that, after that, uh, uh, he started a um, handyman business where he would, uh, he would advertise that he would fix your, um, you know, doors, remodel your kitchens, um, things like that. And, uh, and then he uh, eventually grew that to the point where, and he loved doing it, he grew it to the point where he could do that, um, that full time and left the milk delivery and, and um, pizza delivery businesses. Got it. So I'm really curious then, what made you fascinated, first fascinated with uh, computers? Did you grow this at a young age or was this later on? It did start young. I, my first computer was was a Mac with a tiny screen and it was, everything was integrated into it and, mm-hmm. and I, I loved it. And um, Oh, actually, before that, we had what to me was our first computer. It was actually a typewriter. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Except it was a typewriter that you could program macros into. Okay. So my dad had this, you know, this business doing um, uh, construction, home remodeling, handyman work, and he needed a way to um, bill his customers. And so I took this typewriter and I built these macros and the and um, different methods so that um, he could just fill in forms and print out an invoice for his customer. Mm. So uh, that was kind of the first. Uh, that was my first experience. And then after that, uh, once we got the Mac, I. Uh, uh, I started, I expanded that into a bigger system for him to track his customers and their invoices and, and um, all that, that type of stuff before we eventually bought, well, we bought Peachtree Accounting, which mm. was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> and then there was, uh, and then there was like QuickBooks for business at that point. And, mm-hmm. and then we eventually moved on to that and outside of my uh, little homegrown system I built for them. Wow. So. At this time, were you doing any processing on the internal aspects of the computer, or was this just utilizing the features that were built in? This was, um, kind of, I guess, expanding a bit on the features that were built in, or utilizing them in a way that was most useful for yeah, for my dad's business. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good way to put it. Got it. And then from here, you went on to uh, high school. Did you go to high school in Colorado as well then? I did. I went to high school. Um, but while I went to high school, I also worked for my dad. So I started okay. working for my dad when I was 10. Wow. And we would, uh, work was just a normal part of life. Like, yeah. uh, I, I mowed lawns where, you know, before then I shoveled snow and I had customers and, you know, uh, before that, my, my very first business was um, buying candy in bulk and taking to school and selling individual pieces. Oh man. <laughs> so, uh, and my, my trick was to, um, was to buy candy that was like uh, kind of unique. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'd buy uh, like extremely sour candy. So there was a thing to it. Like, could you actually handle this candy? And so yeah. that was, uh, I guess that kind of helped, uh, you know, that helped the sales, <laughs> my, yeah, my, for sure. my elementary school candy sales. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, then uh, yeah, I worked, uh, worked with my dad in, in construction while I was in high school and um, uh, and then, yeah, uh, did um, kind of got, I guess, got used to what it was like having a, a, a full-time job and going to high school at the same time. And mm-hmm. then eventually 
in the, my junior year, there's a great program at uh, here in Colorado at our school where, where you could take college courses and get high school credit at the same time that you got your, uh, and college credits at the mm. same time. And it's at community colleges nearby. So, um, so my junior and senior year, I took those classes, uh, which it's quite, a, it's quite a fascinating program because by the, you can finish high school and have an associate's degree. Mm. and move into a four-year college with only a couple of years to go. Got it. But I didn't go much past that. Yeah, yeah. So my my high school actually had a similar program where you can uh, achieve your associates during your last two years of school. Um, yeah. Did you end up going on to university following that? Or after high school, did you go working full-time? I went part-time to college because I thought I'd finish my associates and then move on to uh, to a bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. but an opportunity came up to work for Lucent Technologies. Mm. And so um, uh, once I once I started for Lucent and really enjoyed the work, uh, I, I decided not to go to college any longer. So what were you doing specifically at that organization? I was what was called a systems consultant. Okay. So, uh, so a salesperson at Lucent would would sell a, a private branch exchange or a phone system to a company, and then uh, the company needed somebody with technical expertise to come in and apply the um, capabilities of that technology to their business so that they could get the most out of it. So I would go in and talk to them about um, what they did if they had a call center, how their call center operated, um, uh, what kind of uh, ways that they route calls throughout their organization, mm. and then I would, um, you know. Uh, help them use the technology to its fullest potential, but then also write the um, write the program so that the so that the system worked the way that they were hope, they were intending to use it, and also manage the project. So um, there was myself who would do like, the consultation, um, uh, the the software, and then there were technicians that would wire everything up, and so I would manage the technicians as well and, and the project. Got it. So how long did you end up staying? at this location then? Well, I did that. It was actually as a contractor, which was okay. also uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't have an office and uh, you know, they would send me work and we just would communicate by email and I'd go out and do the job for them. Uh, the technicians were in-house. Uh, they were union folks that worked for, for Lucid in-house. Um, and one of the things uh, that was, that I think made that work so well was, uh, was going in and I would walk up and down the sales floor mm-hmm. and I would just introduce myself to all the salespeople and say, Hey, I worked on your customer or I worked on your customer and this is what we did. And after a while, um, they started requesting me because they could see how much care and effort was put into making sure their customer was happy and doing well. So that awesome. um, process of like, shaking the hands and getting to know people really uh, uh, kind of helped that grow. Yeah. But I did that for a couple of years, or I think it was three years, two or three. And then uh, the dot-com bubble burst. Mm. So Lucent sold off this division to uh, what was called Exponents. And another part of, portion of it, the larger enterprise portion, was split into Evalara. No, not Evalara. We just put Evalara on our website. That's why. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, gosh, it does start with that. But it was another, yeah, another company no that they had split it off of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and, at that same time, the dot-com bubble burst mm. and the work just dried up. Mm. So uh, being that I was a contractor, it wasn't like you're laid off or anything. You just stopped getting jobs. 
yeah. and so uh, you know it wasn't too long until I stopped getting jobs and I had done pretty well to that point and, and also pretty conservative so it wasn't uh, you know I could you know handle not working for a while mm-hmm. uh, and because I also had worked so much growing up um, I decided to take some time off and just kind of have what I call my you know, college years yeah without the college part <laughs> so so you took time off. Were you doing any contract work in between for, say, your dad or any other companies on and off? No, um, no, I just took time off, actually. Yeah. So it was about a year and a half to two years uh, that I didn't work. Um, lost everything, like I sold my house, uh, <laughs> sold my car. You know, eventually it was great fun for the first, you know, seven months or so. Yeah. But then, uh, uh, then eventually I spent everything that I had and and uh, sold my house and spent everything that came from that and kind of uh, uh, started to get to the point where it was time to get back to work. So where did you end up going following this two-year time period then? Did you go back into the workforce um, full-time working for someone else? Uh, I thought about doing that and, and applied for some positions. I, um, I was good at product, project management and I thought that that might be a good place. I also liked technical, um, uh, you know, anything, anything technical really. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I started looking at that, but then, then I decided that things seemed to be turning around after the dot-com bubble. And, and perhaps I could just you know, bring my business back up and start doing the work that I was, or similar work that I was doing before. So I talked to Lucent or, or Exponents at the point, at that point, and they weren't, um, they weren't really doing things the same way they were before, mm. but I had this list of customers that I was work that I had been working for, um, doing, um, IT consulting. Okay. And so I, I sent out a mailer to all of these these customers, and a few of them responded. And uh, and then um, you know from those few that responded, I kind of started growing from there until finally I had full time work doing IT consulting and uh, telecommunications consulting for for businesses. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Carl's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's midbreak sponsor, Onnit. Onnit is a health and fitness juggernaut dedicated to delivering total human optimization to its vast customer base of athletes, thinkers, fitness gurus, and entrepreneurs. Whether you're climbing mountains, biking down them, building businesses, or closing sales, chasing PRs in a weight room, or running a marathon, Onnit is the brand you want in your back pocket. Personally, as I run the podcast, my mind is always shifting in different places from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and so much more. I rely on Onnit's product, Alpha Brain, to keep my mind focused on all tasks ahead. Make sure to check out Onnit's products for yourself at onnit.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout for 10% off of savings. That's code STARTINGSMALL at onnit.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. Is this the time period that weaves into System 76? You went from consulting um, around the 2005 era and then creating System 76. Is that when this transition happened? Yeah, I think it would be, let's see, uh, Lucent was like, 2000, um, let's see, no, 90, geez, 98, okay. 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the bubble burst. And so it was probably 2001, 2002. So around 2003, okay. I was doing consulting work again. And then um, 2005 is when I founded System 76 uh, with a friend. And uh, that's at that point, I was working. Um, doing the consulting work and working to build System76 as a company as well. So I'm curious now, um, what led you to begin um, System76? Was your vision to create computers and sell computers or was it a consulting business at the time? What exactly was your vision? 
It was a products business. Okay. I, I, um, having done the uh, the services business, which was uh, you know a lot of fun and I enjoyed it a lot, it also doesn't scale there very well. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least I wasn't good at scaling it. <laughs> um, products companies, I think, are, are and products themselves are a bit easier to scale, even though it's challenging. It's um, it's easier to scale them. So uh, so it was always intended to be a products company, and the the mission behind and our, our purpose behind it mm-hmm. uh, was to uh, was to provide a means by which people could experience open source software, a high quality means. We believed that Linux on, a, on the desktop had surpassed the quality of what was being offered from Microsoft with Windows or or Mac with um, I believe it was OSX at that at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we've truly felt it was just a better product, uh, but that there was no there wasn't an easy way to consume it. You can buy hardware from something. There wasn't a company that, or, um, or a group that was ensuring that everything worked um, out of the box and that, uh, and that when, when this product was gone, they had another one coming up next to it. So you could, de- you could depend on that company being there to supply you with hardware mm. long-term. And those are kind of the things that I think businesses and people depend on or, or want to depend on to trust uh, moving over to something new. Yeah, because that is, is there's some longevity here, and even though we were you know a startup and and poor and just working hard to build good products, um, people put their trust in us, and uh, and over the time we were able to return that with um, you know solid support and continual uh, uh, you know continual updates to their hardware and and new versions of the hardware and and being a reliable source for Linux desktops. Amazing. So generally speaking, what does the decision to sell open source mean to you, your customers? So to a listener out there who might not be fully aware, what does that exactly mean to your customer? Well, open source at the highest level means that the source code for the software um, is available to everyone. Mm-hmm. It can be um, read, it can be modified, it can be redistributed, it can be learned from in that entire process. So um, there's a very, especially with what's called the GPL, the, the general public license, which is a lot, most open source software uses, mm-hmm. there's a very strong social pact built into it. And that's, it's similar to the, the idea that um, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that once you build that piece of software and you put it out there, if someone else improves upon it, they are required by the license to provide those improvements back. You can choose whether or not you accept them and pull them into your work mm-hmm. uh, because for you maybe that improvement isn't what your what you your vision for the software that you're building but that means that someone else can can fork it and and develop and continue the de- development of that project um, in their own vision mm. so it's it's just an exceptionally powerful way computers are the most powerful and versatile thing we've ever invented mm-hmm. and what open source does is just create this uh, one socioeconomic uh, equalizer across all, uh, you know, across all, all socioeconomic situations. So you have uh, free software that is exceptionally powerful, available to everyone, and is not by its nature of being free. It's it's not less than anything else by its nature of being free. These days, it's even more because it's it's free, and so many people contribute to its um, uh, its quality and 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 the things that. It, that um, you can get out of open source. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's yeah, an ex- exceptionally powerful thing for um, people in general. Yeah, 
and it's and it, that was what was so I think important in, in missing was that it's very easy that to as a, a being a Dell or an HP or or whomever else um, you're doing really well selling Windows laptops um, and desktops. It's uh, you're a huge business doing that. Um, does it make sense? Uh, how could you how could you say no? This is a better product with this Linux operating system you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just you, you just don't change course that way. Yeah. And so it needed a new entrance uh, entrance um, someone like System seventy six to really uh, demonstrate what was possible with the software and provide an alternate option along with the reasons why it was was powerful and useful to customers. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, did you end up launching with one product? And if so, what was that product or products? Well, the interesting thing is we were kind of fortuitous with our timing because Intel uh, Intel was concerned with the migration to laptops uh, that they would be limited to only having a few large customers because the amount of capital required mm. to build the laptop is very high yeah. uh, to manufacture them. And just to have the, the supply, to put the supply chain together and and to have enough volume, um, it was difficult. So they were worried about having, uh, you know, a small number of customers dictating the things that they needed from them. Um, whereas in the previous world of desktops, there's this large, huge ecosystem of builders. Yeah. Uh, so they created what's called a, a, their, well, their white book program, meaning it was a, a one or a group of manufacturers create, could create a model. And then the community that sells desktops could pick and choose between those and brand them themselves. Mm. That meant that we didn't have to have a lot of capital to start Systems of Music. We actually started at $1,500. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. Not, we didn't have much either, but yeah. that's what we started it with. Um, and with that, and our, we, we put a lot of faith in ourselves. It was, I'm glad it worked out. But <laughs> yeah. we, we put these different models on our website. And we said, okay, we, we'll sell you. These are, these are our products. And when one sold... I would overnight it to to myself. We would uh, work on engine on, on engineering all the different devices and the, the drivers for the different devices and functionality for the laptop, so that it worked when you shipped it to the customer. And we do that in two or three days, just the entire laptop and all of the work. Wow! And then we build a backup medium so that they could restore. We didn't have imaging systems at this time where we could copy a image and move it over, you know, from system to system to system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would use this, uh, you know, backup disk to do that. Everything had CD-ROMs and you'd burn to them. And uh, uh, then when someone ordered the next one of that same model, we had a we could restore it from this drive and not have to do all that work again. Uh, so the way we ultimately built the built the product line was by customers buying it, doing the engineering in real time, which I would never ever do again. <laughs> we don't do anything like that. Yeah. But um, all the engineering in real time and then ship it, to, ship it out to the customer until we had a product line up. And eventually, the next time, we didn't have to do that again. When it was time for a new process or a new motherboard or new model, we were able to buy the model, bring it in, and uh, do the engineering before we ever offered it. Mm. So being around the time of pre-digital social media ads, how did you begin to market your products at this time? Google AdWords... Okay. Well, it was called AdWords at the time. Now it's Google Ads. But yeah. um, Google AdWords was, I think, there's well, there are two things. Um, uh, so we we would advertise for Linux um, keywords, 
mm-hmm. on Google Ads. So Linux laptops, Linux desktops, and uh, and all the different variants for those type of things. So essentially just telling people these are the things we sell. And when they search for it, um, they'd find us. Um, we also would um, talk about what we were doing in forums. So uh, we would go into different Linux forums and, and say we're building Linux laptops. And, and then we started providing support in those forums for people that bought our, our products. So we became known um, in the community uh, that um, was kind of the first movers in this, uh, uh, you know, in this, this computing opportunity, I guess. Mm-hmm. So those were the two, um, uh, the two primary methods that we used to get our, our name out there. And then we started getting into display ads. And I'm still today unsure about their efficacy. Um, yeah. but, uh, but display ads was another way that we, we tried to reach uh, customers that were uh, potentially interested in our products. With this, what have you found is your main or primary demographic then for your products? Uh, well, it's a little surprising. Um, I would say that our main, our main demographic, uh, demographic is uh, engineering and computer science fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where Linux tends to, uh, to be very well suited. But that also isn't a very good picture of what Linux and open source software is. I think I have a good antidote for this. We survey every customer that buys a product. So when they, when you buy a computer from us, we'll send you a, uh, uh, we send a survey a few days later because we wanted to get feedback on what your experience was like, whether you like the product, or there's things we could improve. Mm-hmm. And we send out a survey that goes to someone saying, I love my Gazelle laptop. It's, uh, it's fantastic, uh, but this will never be mainstream because it's just too geeky. And the very next survey that came in was a gentleman who said, I'm 75 years old and I've never worked in technology, but I love this laptop and I hope it's the last one I ever have to own, but it's it's the best computer I've ever owned. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, so even, even though um, there is a, a particularly good fit in one field, uh, with the pop os is our operating system but linux in general mm-hmm. and uh is just a um uh, a fantastic tool for for anyone that wants to use something that's i think i think we're, we're getting to the point where our operating system is easier to use uh, more friendly more powerful and and still has that additional benefit to um uh, to those people that work in engineering and and uh and science fields in that all of these incredible open source libraries are just um, there and available in the platform. Mm. Looking at System76 today, what would you say separates your company from competitors then? Well, I think it's probably our um, strong holistic approach to developing a product. Mm. So when we think about our products, um, our the way that we design our software and our, our hardware um, is to enable very advanced capabilities within the software without alienating any any like standard casual user. Mm. So um, a couple of examples in Pop OS, um, we we um, we launched the uh, auto tiling feature in our release in two thousand and uh, let's see twenty twenty, and auto tiling is a, a what that means is that every application that you open takes up, it takes up all of the space in the screen and the next one splits it and the next one splits it. What it does is it puts all of your work in front of you at all times. Mm. So as screens become bigger, uh, it's much easier to um, see all of your work 
at once rather than what are traditional floating windows where when you open something, it covers up what was there before yeah. and then covers up the next thing and then covers the next thing. And so eventually you just, you, you can't really efficiently move between the different applications that you're using. So tiling, tiling made that, it's been around for a long time in, in desktop environments like one called i3 or another one called awesome, or there's quite a few out there, um, but they're rather challenging to get going. And part of the fun with those two is their tinkering. You customize it to the point of, you know, to an extreme point to exactly what you want, but you can't just turn it on. Like when you, when you start i3, there's no way to even launch an application. Mm, yeah. Which is fine for i3 and, and those users that I loved i3 for a long time, but we wanted to make that approachable and easy for newcomers to get that you know, powerful capability this new feature without alienating people who had been using floating forever so we have a switch that when you turn the switch on you can try out this different way of using your computer mm. we've done the same thing in hardware with a new keyboard that we're launching called the well it's called the launch keyboard awesome and it's uh we found in our research that people tend to use either their right thumb or their left thumb when they're using the spacebar we also found that people don't move their thumbs out very far, and yet space bars are these really long bars, and your thumb is your most yeah. powerful digit anyway. You know, so we we reserve this thumb, the most powerful one that we have, to just kind of smashing this enormous bar at the bottom of the screen, and it's uh, or bottom of the keyboard, and it's not. Um, it's just it's, it wastes your thumbs and it wastes the the possibilities down there. So we shrunk the space bar and we split it in two. Because if you use, if you're, if you're like me and you always use your right thumb, um, that means you can reprogram the left thumb to do something else. Yeah. The shift and backspace keys are very far away and they're on your weakest, weakest digit. They're on your pinky, but they're used often. Even if you're a 95% typer, that means five out of every hundred words, you, you have to go up there and hit backspace. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you could, it's sometimes it's hard to adapt to some new things like this, but you can, we include another key where you can switch out that for me, it would be the left space to a backspace. And now instead of stretching my finger out there every time I can just hit my left thumb down. Mm. And the other modifiers that are next to the space bars are really useful keys. And I think we forget how useful they are. We, we all use control C and control V. Yeah. Um, but your control on the right side is very far away. And um, so we don't use it for things like control L and control K, which are useful in every application for searching or highlighting the URL bar in a browser mm -hmm. and things like that. So we move it in closer. So we could do, we could do all of these things um, to make the computer more powerful from the hardware to the operating system and do it at the same time um, without alienating a casual user that just wants to jump on the computer and use it. Mm. I really look forward to seeing that new launch keyboard. That sounds really interesting. And as you mentioned, it really does fix a lot of um, just the efficient problems that current keyboards are facing right now. Right. Right. And yeah, it's the, the natural instinct is to say, oh, there's all sorts of problems with that. We just have to throw it away, but we, have, we need to give people bridge yeah. to being, to, uh, you know, I want to, I want to help people be computer gods. And be able to do anything they want to do with a computer with this you know, incredible efficiency, and but not um, uh, but not have to relearn everything that they knew before about how to use a computer to do so. Yeah, for sure. So I'm 
I'm sure this varies from desk, desktop to uh, laptops, but what is your top seller to date, if, if you're aware? Um, laptops are our top seller. Okay. And uh, that's one of the reasons when we started um, uh, manufacturing, we did uh, and design and manufacturing, we did desktops first because we wanted to, you know, buy it off a smaller chunk before we got into doing laptops ourselves. Mm -hmm. But uh, laptops, and we have two flagships. One is our Lemur Pro, which is, which is probably by volume our most popular, and then our Oryx Pro, which um, probably by revenue is, is the most popular. Mm. From a customer POV then, um, what does the configure process look like? And today, how long does that kind of look like from ordering to receiving? Oh, today is a uniquely challenging time. Yeah. The supply chains are an absolute mess, like I've never seen in 20 years. Um, mm. So uh, so from from the customer's point of view, we don't have a lot <laughs> yeah. that we would normally have. But uh, we still yeah. adhere to that um, philosophy that the, the customer should be able to make a lot of different choices to design their computer to exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. So um, it's less a lot of companies kind of moved over to this uh, uh, less is more idea where you you can choose between four or five things um, and you can't really upgrade a lot on your computer or really customize it um, we still provide that that capability we uh, we believe we provide it in a way that's also easy to consume and choose so that you can um, you know really get get exactly what you need for what you're doing uh, on the uh, uh, order to delivery side normally um, we're able to do that uh, within six business days and so in rush delivery which means we just we can we can pump you up in queue if you really need it um, rush delivery within 24 hours wow okay but um, but yeah the timelines are all over the place right now just because of the supply chain is is um, in tatters mm. so I like to conclude each episode with this if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. I think I'd say endurance is probably the thing that matters the most. Mm. The first five years are incredibly challenging. Um, and I don't know why five years is magical, but there is something that happens. Like you've built enough momentum, enough of a customer base where, where um, uh, you're not necessarily clawing and scratching for every single order. Um, because you have some customers that are coming back again. Um, so uh, so go in knowing that endurance matters and it's going to take a while before um, you really start to feel the, uh, you know, the impact of your work. Um, the other thing that, uh, that I think is important is um, to always delight your customer. They're mm -hmm. the key to your success and their trust in you is the reason that you could be successful. And, um, and your job in return is to ensure that you delight them. Mm, for sure. Well, Carl, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out System76 at system76.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.